We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash lawless. Just go to Indeed.com slash lawless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed com slash lawless terms and conditions apply need to hire you need indeed i love the premier league festive schedule and i along with many in america couldn't help but be sucked into this soccer bonanza throughout the holidays for the premier league the unique moment in time remains an inspired marketing broadcasting and branding holiday gift that keeps on giving fans love it players secretly love it and coaches love to complain about it Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lawless, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue colored glasses. As you heard, we'll be talking about the end of the festive period uh, in our Mossy Makes the Case segment. Mossy's going to be talking about the advent and the power of the super agent in our Ask Alexi segment. We'll be talking about the U.S. Men's National Team. In our back three, we'll be talking about MLS coaches, well, new MLS coaches, and Ronaldo, and so much more. But first, joining me, as always, is my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mossy, how are you on this? It's a Tuesday morning. We're doing this a day late, but still our first show of 2020. Uh, welcome. Happy New Year to you. How are you, Mossy? I am good. Happy New Year to you. How was your break? Excellent. I went to Fort Lauderdale with my parents. Fun times, a lot of beach, pool, uh, nice dinners. You watched a lot of games, I, I assume? We're going to talk about yeah. that in a, in a little bit. On uh, January 1st, I did interrupt a lovely day at the beach to watch the Alabama-Michigan Citrus Bowl. <laughs> it looks like my decision-making in this decade will be just as poor as it was in the previous one. I, I too, watched uh, a bunch of games. I watched, uh, whether it was soccer games, football games, uh, all sorts of uh, different games. And I, too, uh, was in Florida. So we had a good time, but we're ready to get back in it. We want to welcome you to what is our, I'm going to call it our third season. It is certainly our third year doing this podcast. We thank you so much for uh, for having us each and every year. Our first podcast evidently started at the be- beginning of February in 2018. Is that right? Is that, uh, what? yeah, so... You know, we're excited about this. This is uh, this is fun. Mossy, as much as I am excited about doing the podcast, there are people that don't know. Throughout the week, uh, we clip off little actual clips of the podcast in uh, in video form, and obviously audio uh, is part of it. And we send those out as promotion for the podcast. And we've done this for for years. Uh, this past week, a clip from one of the shows that we did over the break, where I finished up and gave my final synopsis of The Sopranos came out. And a lot of people that see these clips don't necessarily subscribe or listen to the uh, pod. And so, as I said, my assessment of The Sopranos came out in video form. And the, uh, the vitriol and the hatred of you and your Sopranos clan, I mean, talk about a familia, let me talk of, uh, my, my goodness, was in full 
forced. People were not happy that don't listen to the pod that just saw this clip were not happy. So much so that there's even a Sopranos um, subculture out there that continues to talk about this show that uh, a guy that does a YouTube show did an emergency break in YouTube show to rebut and to defend uh, the honor of uh, of the show. It was quite amer- amazing. People told me to uh, go kill myself, more so than usual. Uh, people wanted to sh- uh, punch me in the face and or inflict any type of bodily harm, more so than usual. So it, it brought out uh, all of your, uh, your, your Sopranos love and therefore hate for me for having the audacity and the temerity to express an opinion that was contrary to... Uh, admittedly what the uh, the majority out there believe which is that this is one of the greatest shows ever and i didn't believe that so thank you mossy for forcing me to watch this show i don't know what you're going to force me to watch next but that's how i spent the last couple of days was being uh, pelted at least online uh, by the uh, sopranos nation out there well, I love The Sopranos, but uh, wanting somebody to die because they disagree with you on a television show seems a disproportionate uh, reaction. I think it's completely uh, proportionate given the nature of the show that we are talk- <laughs> talking about, which treated death as flippantly as, uh, you know, uh, lighting a cigarette or anything like that. So it, it does not, it does not surprise, well, nothing online surprises me uh, anymore, but this certainly didn't surprise me. And and. I laugh it off. And look, that you, that you take this show seriously still now is great. Uh, the, the one thing that I will say, and then we'll move on from this, because I, I recognize that some people haven't even watched The Sopranos, and so we're talking about this, uh, this show. But you can understand, this could apply to any number of one of the legendary shows out there when somebody comes out and doesn't, doesn't like it. I did not do this to be contrarian. I did not do this to poke the uh, Soprano bear out there. This was just my personal opinion. And... If I believe that I, that the show is overrated, it's because of my personal opinion, okay? And, uh, and I express that as I do each and every week uh, and each and every day, let's be honest, on a number of different things, but that I stuck my foot into the uh, pop culture uh, pool that, that is something like a TV show and something as big as a TV show. It was, uh, it was an interesting trip. Uh, that uh, we'll continue to take as we go along. So I don't know what the next one is. Actually, out there, if you do have suggestions as to what the next one I should binge is, please send it to us. Well, have you seen The Wire? I have not seen The Wire, that and I know the that's next the logical, logical next uh, uh, next thing. And so, boy, think if I could have the Sopranos Nation and The Wire Nation uh, on my back. Uh, I'm, look, I'm not, I don't want to taint it right, uh, right now, but we'll see. All right, Mussy, anyway. Ready to continue? Ready to light this candle? Yep. All right, as you know, each and every week we kick the pod off with... Alexi Lawless's State of the Union. Yes, it's time for my State of the Union, where I look at a part of the game from an American perspective. And this week, it goes a little something like this. Happy New Year. We have emerged from yet another traditional holiday season in England. Yes, that festive time of year when Premier League games come fast and furious, and most teams can find themselves playing four games in ten days. Now, I love the Premier League festive schedule. And I, along with many in America, couldn't help but be sucked into this soccer bonanza throughout the holidays. Narratives completely change every few days. It's like soccer fast food. The product is quickly disposed of and forgotten, but it is also addictive. For the Premier League, the unique moment in time remains an inspired marketing, broadcasting, and branding holiday gift that keeps on giving. Fans love it. Players secretly love it, and coaches love to complain about it. 
Faced with playing two games in 48 hours, both Jose Mourinho and Jurgen Klopp called the scheduling a crime. Here's the thing. If you're not playing games, you're training. Players love to play and coaches love to train. Show me a player that prefers training sessions over playing games, and I'll show you a player that you don't want on your team. Yes, players get tired. Yes, players wear down. And players get injured. But the reality is that nobody cares. Nobody wants to hear pro players or coaches whine and complain about too many games. You're paid ridiculous amounts of money and treated like royalty for the privilege of playing or coaching two games in 48 hours. Figure it out. Staying healthy is a skill. Recovery, pacing, and adapting is also a skill. Those players and teams who possess these skills have an advantage, and they reap the benefits, especially during the periods of game congestion. The Premier League holiday schedule isn't a crime. It's a gift. All right, Mossy, were you as entranced and delighted as I was? Because I think before I get your answer here, I just want to clear something up. There's, a, there's a, this perception out there that I hate England, I hate the English, I hate the EPL. That's not the case at all. I love the EPL. The other things uh, we'll debate on. But when it comes to this past couple of weeks, it, each and every year, it's phenomenal. They own the moment, which is why I say it is strategic and, and brilliant on their part. And each and every day, I looked forward to watching soccer and watching some great soccer and entertaining soccer when it comes to the the EPL. Were you along with me? Because I know a lot of people in, in the States were, especially over this period, were tuning in day after day after day. I was enthralled. Uh, now, you mentioned managers chirping. There is a compromise this season. They threw the managers a bone. Uh, there will be a break in February in which teams will go two weeks without playing a game. Also, they've done away with replays in the fifth round of the FA Cup. And keep in mind, if your team loses early in the FA Cup, that does create some gaps because there are weekends sure. devoted solely to the FA Cup. But as far as the festive period, yeah, as a fan, I love it. And I agree with you. It means England owns this time of the year. There was about a 10-day stretch there where I only thought about English football and nothing else. I guess the question would be, um, are there an abnormal amount of injuries during this period? And also, are managers forced to rotate to such a degree that you're depriving fans a chance of watching the best players play? But you think the physical toll is overstated? I think the physical toll is overstated. But more importantly, I think that you know, you look at a team like Liverpool that not only had to play the games, but they also had to travel uh, for the Club World Championship, which which they won. They didn't miss a beat, continuing to win. And I think that, and I'll ask you this question too. Look, I'm not I'm not saying that it's not difficult. I'm not saying that it's not taxing, but I'm also saying, like like you mentioned. They own this moment. And in a world that is so cluttered, I'm not just talking about sports world, but just a, a world in general and a cultural world that is so cluttered, and certainly from a sports perspective, the world is cluttered, for a entity like the Premier League to own such a length of time where there is nothing else going on because everybody else is on break. I think it would be they're hard-pressed to change anything too much because they have a captive audience um, and a rabid audience out there, uh, not just around the world, but certainly in the United States, that this is, I think, from a business perspective, as I said, it was inspired. And I think from a soccer perspective, even though I get it that there's, you're not feeling necessarily your, your best 11 because you're rotating players and doing all that kind of stuff, but I didn't see that the, the play suffered. And even if at times it's not the best 11 out there, it's still the experience of it. And, and this is where maybe I'm getting romantic about something that people wouldn't expect me to get romantic about, but it's the consistency of day after day. And is, is it too much of a good thing? Maybe after the two weeks it, it is, 
But I still, I was left wanting more almost. It, I was getting up each and every day and I knew that there was at least one or two games there to feed my, uh, my I guess is a bottomless type of, uh, of, of stomach and desire and appetite for soccer. One argument that comes and goes depending on results is this notion that it hampers English clubs in European competitions. From 2005 through 2012, there was an English club in the Champions League final in seven of those eight seasons. Liverpool, United, and Chelsea all won Champions League titles. Arsenal were minutes away from winning one, so there was no complaining about it then. Then you had a stretch of five straight seasons where there wasn't an English club in the Champions League final, and in searching for reasons why that was happening, you know, it couldn't possibly be that other leagues were just better than the Premier League during those years, so it had to be that uh, the festive period is so taxing and it puts more mileage on those legs, and so English clubs are at a disadvantage. And now we've had Liverpool in the final the last two seasons. You had an all-English Champions League final last season. You had an all-English Europa League final. Right. And so now that argument's gone away again. So that sort of comes and goes when it's convenient, you know. And, you know, I mentioned in the, in the State of the Union, well, I didn't mention it, but I, I, I alluded to the fact that players, they want to play games. I hated training. I, I hated it. I hated it. I hated it. The more games, the better. Now, look, I, I know I'm a defender, and so my workload and, uh, on, a, on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, might be less than, say, a midfielder that's had him to get up and up and down the field. But I, I have found it is very rare. It is a complete anomaly when you have a player that prefers training. That's why I said if I ever met players that preferred training, then I didn't want them, I didn't want them on, my, uh, on my team. Yes, do you want to get rest? But if you gave me the option of having rest versus playing a game, I'm always going to play a game. That's, that's just the way that I was built. And I think most players are built like that. And while they will acknowledge the fact that it's difficult, and either from a, a physical perspective or even from a, a psychological perspective and, and emotional perspective around the holidays, having to travel, having to not be necessarily with your family and all, all that kind of stuff, they recognize that. I think that even if they don't say it publicly, almost to a, in this case, it would be a man, uh, they, they love it and they enjoy it. Now, over the festive period, I couldn't help but notice you were tweeting quite a bit about VAR, oh, which was a <laughs> big theme. There's been an interesting development, though. IFAB, which makes the laws of the game, yep. has more or less sided with the critics. They came out and said the Premier League is getting this, this wrong. They're being too forensic about it. Uh, offsides is not an exact science like goal line technology. And there is an element of clear and obvious, which, as you point out, is very problematic and introduces its own set of issues. But what did you make of that? It seems like people on that side of the argument are winning, and we are going to see some sort of change here, either in the verbiage of how the offsides rule is written or just in how VAR is applied to it. It, It's kind of interesting. Yeah, I mean, it it stems from the line that is put there. And the reason why EPL and others can put lines there is because they have more more cameras. So when you compare it to MLS, MLS actually, in a strange, weird way, actually benefits from the lack of abundant technology, shall we say, because they don't use as many cameras. It's not feasible to put that line down there, which which causes so much consternation out, uh, out there. But as I said before, we're going to put the line in there no matter what. So even if a league doesn't do it, so what's going to happen? So now there is that buffer. And we always that's why I went back and forth and I'm always arguing with people about you still have to draw a line at some point. Even if the line isn't actually there, you're still drawing a line. Somebody is still drawing a line, either through a freeze frame or with the, with the naked uh, eye in real time when it comes to a referee. And 
we as television people, the first thing that we are going to do is put every replay that we have, however little or, or many we have, we're going to put them down there. And we are actually going to do that line. And we are going to make that referee look uh, look wrong because even you know it goes back to I mean we've repeated this a hundred times you can't be you can't be a little pregnant but to to see and to hear that consternation I think in a strange way and when when remember when VAR was first proposed I was I was really worried that it was going to take away that gray area of our game that enabled us to talk about and to argue about and debate and to have opinions about and it hasn't done that it has just continued to uh, to do that. I thought that in a strange way, it made those games that much more interesting. I, and, and maybe I'm weird and maybe I'm the minority. If you had taken out the whole VAR debate and argument, would it have still have been as interesting? And I don't think so. And if you say that it would have been and you are a member of the media that is continually banging on the VAR thing, then I'm going to call you out for it. Because if you think that you, either an individual or the entity that you worked for, is more interesting by ignoring the VAR thing, okay, because we're just going to talk about the game, and the VAR is just a distraction, all that kind of stuff. No, why are you talking about it? You're talking about it because everybody is talking about it. And is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? I think that that's a, I think that that's a good thing. In a strange way, it added to the drama and to the, uh, you know, the, 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 the debate, like I said, that was going on. A couple of on-field thoughts. Uh, Liverpool are going to win the league. The last thing that some people were clinging to was that the festive period was going to trip them up, and right. it did, and they came out of it with an even bigger lead than before. The 4-0 win over Leicester, as you mentioned, I thought was one of the best performances of the entire Klopp era. But Leicester bounced back from that game and won their other two Premier League games during the festive period, and that combined with some of the results uh, below them, I'm now ready to say Leicester is a stone-cold lock to finish in the top four. There's a 14-point gap oh, between four, themselves yes. okay. and fifth, and so that means three of the spots are accounted for with Liverpool, Leicester, and Manchester City, so it just leaves one for Chelsea, Tottenham, United, and Arsenal all to fight over, so that's going to be fun for sure. Huh? Hey, I, I was joking earlier about um, you know the, the way that uh, me, uh, the way I perceived when it comes to the the English, it is still without a doubt the most entertaining league in the world. We can argue whether it's the best or not, but the way that they they churn the narratives, um, the way that it's not yes, it's top heavy, but relative to other European leagues, it's not just two teams. I mean, hell, we have Leicester back in, which we thought was an anomaly a few years ago, and yet they're back in, like you said, solidified their thing. Now, there is no title race this year. It's going to go to Liverpool. And that's it is going to be done, and it's already done and dusted when it when it comes to that. So people can turn their uh, their uh, thoughts elsewhere. But this chase for that fourth spot, I think, is going to be very very interesting. Speaking of injuries over the festive period, we know that Harry Kane uh, came down, which is a huge huge blow to Jose Mourinho and uh, Spurs at this time in terms of their chase right uh, right now. Let me say this about Mourinho: it's been I think we can now say a slow start to life for him mm-hmm. uh, on the Tottenham bench. And he came out recently with this comment about, you know, fans need to be patient. Uh, Look at Liverpool. It took Klopp three or four years to get them to the point where they were winning major trophies. And uh, so, you know, I just arrived and you got it. I deserve like a similar. And I find that to be very problematic because the whole source of friction between Levy and Pochettino was Levy's unwillingness to spend the money necessary to rebuild that squad. So out went Pochettino, in came Mourinho. When Mourinho arrived, he said, this squad is great. I love it. Uh, No issues at all. And the way this was sold to me by Mourinho devotee, 
Conte's, like Charlie Stilitano, was that Mourinho was going to get this Tottenham team over the hump because he possesses these great trophy-winning abilities that Pochettino didn't. And he can't now... Uh, after they lose a few games, act like this is some massive reclamation project that's going to take years and they're going to have to spend money. And and my question would be, if Levy is willing to spend that money, why wouldn't he have done it with Pochettino? Well, he can say that. I'm talking about Mourinho. Mourinho can say that if, and it's a big if, he got assurances that he was going to be allowed to do that, which you rightly point out nobody else in the past has been given, not the least of which is Pochettino, which is where the sorts of the friction came. But look, this is what coaches do, regardless if it's Mourinho or anybody else. If it goes well at the start, you're, uh, yes, I'm a magician. I've just tweaked some different things, and I saw, saw some things in here, and I'm trying, and he's made these players better. And if it doesn't go well, this is a project, and I need time. And I, I do think that we have to give him a, uh, well, the next one would be obviously the summer market to either confirm or, dis, uh, or dispel some of the things that he is saying right now. So if this summer Mourinho is given money to go out there and actually fundamentally change the team, then I think it's legitimate to say, hey, look, I'm doing what I can do right now with what I have, but I recognize that over the summer I'm going to, to change it. If over the summer nothing really happens, then shame on you, okay? And it's all a bunch of BS because it's obvious that you weren't being given that. If you weren't told that you were going to, that, that nothing was going to change, then that's still on, that's still on you. Because if Mourinho's taking that job, you bet your ass that he is sitting down with Levy and saying, what is the situation? What is the reality of what I'm getting into? And if he's just so desperate to come back into a team, fine. But you got to be honest with everybody that those changes are not, uh, are not coming in the future. Anything else, Mossy, when it comes to the, uh, the festive period? It was fun. It was, uh, it was enjoyable. Whether you, honestly, whether you like the Premier League or not, it was fun to each and every day have games to wake uh, wake up to. I, I want a steady diet of soccer. I know there, especially the NFL model is make it limited, but make it more valuable because of that, uh, because of limiting the opportunity. And then therefore you, you churn everything throughout the week and it arrives on, on a weekend. But it was wonderful. And maybe it's because it was over the holidays and, you know, you had kind of time to, to digest it each and every day, as opposed to when you're when you're working and it's not uh, not happening there. But it it was fun. Uh, I don't know if you watched it or not, but if you did, it was fun to see it. And let us know what your thoughts on the uh, the holiday uh, festive period. Right, it's called the festive period. I've been calling it that, but that's what I saw it written as. Yep, so. absolutely. All right, cool. Moving on. Mossy makes the case. Okay, it's that time again. Mossy makes the case. The first one for 2020. Mossy, what are you casing for in the year 2020? My case, simply put, is show me the money. The January transfer market is off and running. This is a time of year when the spotlight shines not just on superstars and super clubs, but also super agents. And while George Mendez might still have the most impressive client list in the sport, no agent craves the spotlight more than Mino Raiola. If you follow European football closely, you know exactly who I'm talking about. Mino Raiola is a 52-year-old portly Italian who represents the likes of Paul Pogba, Mario Balotelli, and Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Raiola is one of the most controversial figures in the game. He's been called a player's dream and a manager's nightmare. Now, it's very easy to vilify agents, but they do serve an important function. 
uh, professional athletes generate a lot of money for a lot of people, and they deserve a fair slice of the pie. You better believe if it was just players, most of whom don't have business backgrounds, sitting in the room, owners wouldn't think twice about taking advantage of them in negotiations, and it's an agent's job to make sure that doesn't happen. But in the case of Raiola, you often hear about moves that seemingly make sense for his clients falling apart because of a club's unwillingness to pay him a massive bonus or because he personally dislikes a club president. And that's when you find yourself wondering, who's working for who here? Is he working for his clients or are his clients working for him? Also, Raiola is very outspoken. He thinks nothing of trashing managers and clubs. And again, you're often left to wonder, is he speaking on behalf of his clients or is he expressing his own opinion? Raiola has more than 70 clients, including, as I mentioned, some of the biggest names in the game. So he's obviously doing something right. My question would be, is he a great agent because of his self-promoting style? or in spite of it. The bottom line is, if over the next three weeks, your favorite club is planning to sign a player, you might think the hardest part is agreeing a transfer fee with his current club and convincing the player to join you. But there's another important figure that needs convincing as well, his agent. And if that figure happens to be Mino Raiola, you better be ready to fork over some extra cash. Ooh, I love it, Mossy. I love it. This super agent, all one word, capital S, capital A, trademark it now. Uh, okay, so uh, look, I mean, the the super agent in sports is nothing necessarily new. We have seen it in other sports over the years. I, because people come and ask me, uh, parents or players come up and ask me about agents uh, all the time. The calculation for any athlete when it comes to an agent is by having this agent, he or, he or she, whoever it may be, is that person able to get you more then you would be able to get on your own. And when I say more, it's more with the understanding that you are going to pay your she a certain percentage. Now, when, when I have an agent and when many uh, American players have agents, we are paying them uh, f usually from what we are making. It's important to note here that a lot of times the actual clubs are paying the agent's fee. What the percentage is, <laughs> it's up to it's up to them to negotiate. But if you're a player, you need to recognize that whatever that agent fee is coming out of the greater pot that you are going to take your money from. Some players are okay with that. Some players uh, may may not be okay with that. But when it comes to that agent, so that's the money part of the agent. Can you negotiate as much as somebody else who is negotiating on your behalf? minus obviously the amount that you are going to pay them. And so does it make financial sense for you to do that? The other part is, can that agent, and this is what applies to you know all the guys that you are talking about, can you get me where I need to go because of the relationships, the history that you have, the contacts that, uh, that you have, and yes, the leverage that you bring with the other players that you have at your disposal. And all of that is important. All of that is power. As I said, all of that is leverage. And then you make... Uh, your decision. That agents are vilified is nothing new and will continue on. I happen to think that agents are not only, they're not a necessary evil, they are necessary. Okay. Yes, at times they can be a necessary evil, but they are necessary. I have had the same agent for a long, long time. I have a great relationship with him. He understands what I want. He understands how I work. And there's a, business, a recognized business that he can get me more than if I was doing it by myself. Uh, because if not, then it's just 
you're just doing you're just being a friend and you're just, you're just giving a gift basically to somebody uh, to somebody else do i think that this ultimately to answer your questions do i think that this is bad no i don't think that this is bad i think that this is the way not just sports work but i think this is the way the world works and if you are a club that is negotiating with a super agent okay and you feel you're being taken advantage of, or you feel that that power is sending you in the wrong direction, then you walk away. But if you walk away, you're not sometimes just walking away from that one player. You could be walking away from that stable of players. And now these agents are personalities and these, their faces and the things that they say have weight and power, which is why when someone says, I'm not sending my, not just player, I'm not sending my players and if you represent the best players in the world, that can be problematic. If you're not sending them to a certain place, that is a problem for the club. That is a problem for the leadership of the club that is hoping to add talent to their, to their roster. But what I've found is a lot of this is chest beating and pumping up uh, a chest. If a player wants to go someplace or if a someplace is going to throw ridiculous amounts of money, Ultimately, that gets done regardless of the animosity or the personal relationship that has deteriorated between a club and an agent. Well, just to show you some of the friends that Mino Raiola has made along the way, uh, he's called Pep Guardiola a dog and a coward. <laughs> he's called Alex, get the bleep button ready. He's called Jurgen Klopp a piece of Yeah. And last week he made news well, because— Well, I mean, get in line, though. Okay. Yeah. Last week he made news because one of his clients, Erlen Holland, spurned Manchester United to sign with Dortmund. And when he was asked why not United, he said, I wouldn't send anybody there right now. They would ruin Maradona or Pele. Keep in mind he represents Paul Pogba, who right, is right. <laughs> currently at Manchester United. So my question would be, if, if Mino Raiola was your agent, would you be comfortable with that, with him being that outspoken? Yeah. Would you tell him to— Pipe down, Good buddy. point. An absolute, uh, and I've had this conversation with agents and certainly with my agent, uh, and, and my agent has, has had it with me. You, as my agent, all right, what you say and do is a reflection on me, okay? So if my agent is doing something or saying something that I don't like, I will fire my agent, Okay. And you cannot divorce yourself from your representation. I, you know, I dealt with this a lot uh, in, in the Beckham days. Uh, a lot of times people say, well, those, that's his team. That's, those were his people. Well, guess what? Okay. Those, that team and those people for a player, you are paying. Either directly or indirectly, you are paying. They are making money off of you. And when they go and do something or when they say something, it is going to reflect on you and it should reflect on you and therefore it is your responsibility and so when Pogba's agent in this case you know says something like that it's a reflection on Paul Pogba and if and if you don't like it then you get on the phone and you say you stop that right now you apologize right now okay or I'm gone will the agent care I don't know will the agent stop no but most agents like to be in the background. Most agents recognize that their value and their worth, and they're much more valuable and, and worth much more when they are quiet and when they are in the background. A big type of bold personality from an agent's perspective, I guess, is natural considering the representation and the, and the huge names that they represent, the money involved, and this age that we are in where um, personality and stardom is 
at your fingertips very, very quickly. I mentioned he's Latan's agent. They are a match made in heaven. Right. And the story of how they linked up is, is kind of neat. Uh, so a young Zlatan playing for Ajax at the time decided he needed an agent and, and called one of his journalist friends and said, can you help me? And the journalist set up a bunch of meetings for Zlatan with agents and, and went along with him to some restaurant in Amsterdam. And usually in these meetings, agents walk in wearing flashy suits and they kiss the player's ass. And Zlatan says that Raiola walked in looking all scruffy and Raiola, uh, the first thing he said to him, Zlatan was wearing some fancy watch. And Raiola said, how much did that watch cost you? And Zlatan told him. And Raiola said, how many goals have you scored this season? And Zlatan was having a bad season. He said, oh, five goals. And Raiola said, uh, somebody who only has five goals this season shouldn't be wearing a watch like that. And Raiola got up to make a phone call. And Zlatan turned to his journalist friend and said, cancel all the other meetings. That's the guy. Wow. <laughs> but, but. It can come and go very quickly. I mean, we, we know the, the classic scene in, in Jerry Maguire where, you know, who's coming with me? Because you are only as strong as who you currently represent. And that stable that you have can very, very quickly bolt and can go, and can go someplace else. And there, there goes not just your money, but your power and your influence. And so you have to be very careful. It's a, it's a, sometimes it's a, it's a dangerous game because you're also competing uh, with other agents. And those agents sometimes have phone calls or meetings and are trying to lure uh, those agents away. It's, a, it's an amazing business, the agent business out there, which is why it made such a, a, a good movie because it gave you a peek behind this incredible curtain of these people of the way that they go about their business, of the cutthroat nature that it, uh, that it is, but also of the money involved uh, when it comes to you know him or anybody else. Let me say a couple of things about deals involving Raiola clients this January. So Zlatan did in fact sign with AC Milan. He's already debuted for them. I mentioned in our last podcast of 2019 that there was a disagreement over the length of the contract, which put the deal in doubt for like a minute, but they ultimately worked it out. And in retrospect, it was always going to be AC Milan because they are the only club that satisfies this needle that Zlatan was trying to thread. It had to be a big enough club that it wasn't beneath him to play for them because he's Zlatan, but it also has to be a club where he's going to walk in and be the star, the savior, have everything sure. built around him because he's Zlatan. And Milan satisfied that because they still have the veneer of a big club, but they're in a bad enough state that a 38-year-old can walk in in the middle of the season and be the star of the team and walk in, show up there to all this great hoopla. So I'm not saying it's the wrong move. If, if that's what Zlatan wants, uh, great. Uh, I hope he's happy there. But again, I, I do think there's an alternate universe in which Zlatan would have looked at this as the last opportunity to win a Champions League title, which is the only uh, really thing missing from his resume. And he would have perhaps accepted a lesser role just being a, a contributing player on a, on a better team. It doesn't sound like that was ever an option. So uh, he goes to AC Milan. He's going to finish out his career, I guess, playing for a mid-table team that hasn't played in the Champions League in six years. So I don't know. How do you feel about Zlatan going to AC Milan? It is a little anticlimactic, but, you know, this is the power of Zlatan in that when I found out that he was in the 18, and then when I found out he was playing, I sought that game out to see if that magic Zlatan would appear. Now, it, it didn't. He's, he's playing for, as you said, just a mediocre team right now. Zlatan needs service. He, he needs people getting him the ball on a consistent basis. But he's, he's not going to necessarily uh, get that. But it'll be interesting next week, because he came off the bench this week, if they now move him into a starting position.
And then on Holland, uh, I think great move for him to go to Dortmund. This kid is doing everything right. Uh, it helps that his father was a player, Alf Inge Holland, who's advising him very well. Uh, he rose to prominence at Molde and could have gone to a big club then right. and instead chose Salzburg as an intermediate step. And now everybody thought, okay, now he'll go to like a, a super club. And no, he, he chose Dortmund, another intermediate step. He's only 19 and, and he feels like, why rush things? Sure. You know, I'll, I'll go to a super club when I'm ready. And I think that that's just brilliant. I, I love that move. Uh, to me, it makes perfect sense for both club and player. Now, I will say it makes a lot of sense big picture long term in terms of his development I also think it has the potential to uh, fill a need for Dortmund now I've talked about this on the podcast how they only have one center forward in the squad and whenever Alcacer can't play they have to put somebody in there out of position so I was excited when they signed Holland for that reason as well but now you're hearing that Alcacer might leave this January so that would sort of negate that and they would be back down only one striker I hope that doesn't happen uh, if Alcacer is going to leave I hope it happens in the summer I hope they finish out the season with two good center forwards in the roster because I think that's what you need if you're going to realistically win a Bundesliga title this season so uh, we'll see how that plays yeah, out I think it's I think it's a good move I'm excited to see it from a Bundesliga perspective obviously we have uh, you know the second half of the season coming and it'll be interesting to see how that uh, influences you mentioned Holland's father and the fact that he played and there's an, under, an understanding which just we'll finish it on this when it comes to the agent world because there are players out there that are represented by family members and I think that that's a recipe a recipe for disaster I think that well your mom or your dad or any family member, if they have experience and understanding, I think it can be beneficial for them to be in there. I think the, the separation is important because I think that, yes, at times a family member can say and do things that others can't. I think that at times it gets really sticky. And look, it's, it's, it's an age-old type of thing. You don't mix money and family and and it's very very difficult Neymar uh, a prime example is uh, as you know being represented and certainly it, it hasn't hurt, has it hurt him from a money perspective maybe maybe not but I just think it gets really really sticky really quickly I agree I find Neymar's father to be a repugnant uh, figure. Uh, I said this on our very first podcast uh, a couple of years ago, and Alex Dowd edited it out, uh, but uh, hopefully it stays this time around because <laughs> I, I, I can't stand that man. I think 50% of Neymar's image problems are down to that, the way really? he carries himself. Yeah, absolutely. So I agree with you. It can be a recipe for disaster, and that would be an example of that. Well, we, we shall see. You know, ultimately, agents are a, uh, a, a recognized, and I, as I've said, I think an important part of the mix, but they certainly can take advantage at times of a system that is a Wild West type of system. And if you are a player and you are paid X amount of money and you find out that your agent is taking double what the going rate is for an agent, you're going you're gonna to think twice. And if you ignore it, that's on you. And if you accept it, then you better have a dan- – well, you, I think you should have a good reason as to why. Was it because this was the only person in the world that could get this deal done and therefore that should be reflected in the comp- compensation? All right, maybe you can make a case, uh, a case for that. But more often than not, the deal is going to get done. And you better hope that the person that you have representing you uh, is able to facilitate that deal in the best possible way. And I'll leave you with this. A lot of times – Agents only concentrate on the current deal and they don't recognize. And the good agents will inform their clients that 
it's not just about this one deal. It's about setting up your next deal. And the things that you do now can play into the advantage that you have uh, going forward. And so you can get caught in time and space only thinking about now if you're an agent or if you're a client of an agent that can hurt you later on. And so the good ones have a plan, have a progression, have an evolution, have an understanding of how to do that and get you ultimately where you want to go. It doesn't have to happen immediately, but it's reflected in the different steps that you take going along. And ultimately, like anything in life, when you have a relationship, it's about trust. Do you trust the person is doing what is good for you ultimately, even at the expense of what might be good for them as individuals, as the agents. And that's not a, always an easy thing to have happen when uh, money and sometimes very big money is involved. All right, Mossy, moving on. Ask Alexi. All right, it's time for Ask Alexi. Use that hashtag Ask Alexi out there on all the uh, platforms out there that we have. And there seems to be a new platform every single week when it comes to social media. But use that hashtag, Ask Alexi, send us your comments, questions, and concerns out there. We pick two or three of them out each and every week as we're about to do. And Mossy uh, reads them out. All right. What do the people want to know this week, Mossy? First up, at BrooklynMD09, very broad question, but what are the major milestones you want the U.S. men's national team to achieve in 2020? Okay, it is a broad question. You can't qualify for the World Cup in 2022 in 2020. You certainly can't win the 2022 World Cup in 2020. But what I think, I think the most important thing is, and for people that don't know, uh, the CONCACAF World Cup qualifying will begin this year uh, in the form of the HEX, which is the hexagonal, which is six teams. You play everybody home and away, which is 10 games. By this time next year, January of 2021, the United States national team, uh, men's national team, will have played six of their 10 games. It's not all home and away. I don't know exactly what it's going to be, but six of those games will have been played. So 18 potential points of the possible 30 points will have been uh, out there. I think a good indication of progress and therefore a cautious optimism, let's be honest, just doesn't exist right now when it comes to the men's national team, will be found a year from now when six of those games have been played. I think for them, the milestone will be that they changed the perception of this team, which right now continues to be at an all-time low. And so if a year from now we are saying, you know what, I like what Greg Berhalter is. I'm not, I'm not necessarily sold on Greg Berhalter. You can be, even be say, look, I, I still have my, my qualms about him, but I like the direction that he has taken over the last year, both in terms of the qualifying process and in terms of uh, this summer with the final uh, of semifinal and the final of... Um, CONCACAF Nations League. Nations League, exactly. So there's a trophy at stake, and then there's a bigger World Cup uh, qualification at stake that can be furthered and more than halfway done by the time you're finishing. So that's a long way of saying if he changes the perception of the U.S. men's national team over the next year by the results that he has, by the players that he calls in, and most importantly by the way that these players play, I think that in of itself will be something to rest your hat on and to be very, very happy. If you are confident moving forward that this team is going to qualify for the World Cup, which they didn't before, and not that I'm saying that that's an accomplishment in the past it hasn't been, but that's the next big thing. If you are confident, more confident, that not only are they going to qualify, but that they are going to do well and that you are going to see players that you haven't seen and you're going to see a different type of team going forward, I think that is what I am looking for as far as a, 
a milestone. I'm not going to say they need to win this amount of games or this amount of games or anything like that. But the perception of that team, if it is changed in a positive direction a year from now, I think that Greg Berhalter and that team will have done a job and will have achieved what I think is certainly doable in 2020. What uh, else, next up, at Ilm Graham 4, uh, thoughts on Ancelotti at Everton. You want to start this one off? I know you had some thoughts well, first before off, uh, we started talking. First off, in our final podcast of 2019, there were reports that Ancelotti was going to Everton. Right. We had a brilliant chat about it, and Alex Dowd didn't feel comfortable enough that it was a sure thing, so he edited floor. it out, uh, and then he ended up getting hired by Everton, a fitting end to Alex Dowd's 2019. <laughs> uh, but... Listen, uh, Rodney Marsh said that uh, Carlo Ancelotti managing Everton is like Michelangelo painting my garage. And I, and I kind of feel the same way. I, it's, it's been very odd to see him on that touchline for Everton. I kind of feel like him and Arteta should flip and Ancelotti should be managing a club like Arsenal mm -hmm. while Arteta should be getting his feet wet at Everton. And by the way, Arteta played more years at Everton than Arsenal, so there's just as big of a connection there. But Arsenal were caught up in this ex-player fetish, and so they opted for Arteta instead, a guy who had never managed a game in his life versus a guy in Ancelotti who's won three Champions League titles. So I thought that was kind of interesting. And so Ancelotti, you know, back in the Premier League, which I'm sure he's happy about and managing a club in Everton that has some potential for upward movement. But, but, but you see it as he's slumming it. Yeah. I mean, what are you going to realistically win at Everton? It's, you know. I don't buy. Look, I buy it. I mean, the guy is a legend. Okay. But you are a, you are a coach. You are a manager. And if you're a good one, I think it's because not only are you good, but you enjoy what you do. So managers are going to manage. Coaches are going to coach. Would even the greatest love to be able to pick and choose exactly where they went and the timing is perfect? This is, this is what was available. He wants to be on a sideline. He wants to have that day in and day out connection and communication and work that is done. I disagree with you that, well, no, I, I don't disagree that this doesn't look a little strange and that he, uh, someone of his stature sitting on the Everton sideline is... It's a little bit strange, but I don't begrudge him. I, I, I actually enjoy it. I, I enjoy somebody who very easily could have said, this is beneath me, saying, no, this is something that I want to do. Now, is it because he wants to do it just because he needs that juice of sitting on a sideline uh, or standing on a sideline or working each and every day with players? Or did this specific one, he's just taking the best that he could possibly get? I... I don't know. Yes, it's different. But ultimately, as has been the case wherever he has gone, he has to improve this team. And if he can't do it, then is he really that good a coach? Is he really that good a manager? We have this debate all the time about Pep and, and different people. I, I love the fact that he actually is putting himself out there, even at this late stage of his career, saying, you know what? I'm going to go someplace that people didn't expect. I'm going to go someplace that I don't have the tools that I've had in the past. And I'm going to literally, which is something we don't see too, uh, often enough in, our, in today's game, I'm going to coach them up. I'm going to manage them up. I don't know if, it, if that, that, that applies. I'm going to manage them up for people that like to call their uh, coaches managers. He's going to manage them up. He's going to coach them up. And that to me, is the essence of being a manager and being a coach, okay? When you have all the best players in the world, yes, we've talked about this before, I'm not saying it doesn't require skill, but if you can come in and you can make a team better and you can make individual players better without necessarily changing those players, that to me is the essence of coaching. 
And I like that he is doing something like that. And on the topic of uh, coaching players up, uh, we're taping this on a Tuesday. Yesterday was another Marcelo Bielsa Appreciation Day because Arsenal faced Leeds United in the FA Cup. And Leeds went in there and played Arsenal off the field in the first half. Didn't win, mind you, because yes, with Bielsa, they didn't win. I don't understand. <laughs> no, I do understand. I know it hipsters because... like me love him, but there's very uh, rarely actually a tangible reward to all his great work. Although I will say, Leeds, it looks like they're going to get promoted this season. So we will have Marcelo Bielsa in the Premier League uh, next year, which would be great. But it, and they'll lose every single game, and all you romantics <laughs> will be out there going, "Yes, but you just see the way they play." Oh, yes, it's inspired. It is such a load. Oh God. Look. So you you don't buy the Bielsa. You don't worship the the altar of Marcelo <laughs> I think that if you're you're if you're being romantic just to be romantic I can I can appreciate that and I can respect that but it gets old it, like it, what what supporters are just going to be yes but we but we played prettier uh against the team but we what we lost if you can't couple it with the scoreboard then what are we doing here what are, then you're just playing Sunday kick around if you if you're not then you're just not keeping score. All right, we, there's there's no trophies, there's no score, everybody plays. Oh, we played so beautiful. Oh, I put it through this leg. Oh, this was great pressing. Oh, no, I and and don't for those out there, this isn't a Sopranos moment. Don't scream and yell at me here. It's not that I don't appreciate and respect Bielsa. I love that he is a maverick. I love that he does things differently. But if you do things differently that results in you not winning, Okay, you've just done things differently, and while and it, if you really want to just pay to see this romantic notion of what the game is, when by the way you lose a game, okay, fine, but I don't I don't want to do that. I want I want Pe I want Pe what Pep does because Pep couples the things. He is a maverick, he is a revolutionary, he is a romantic, but he couples it with a pragmatism and an understanding and most importantly a respect for the people that buy tickets the people that watch the people that support that ultimately it has to result in you winning it doesn't mean you're going to win every single time but it'll be fun uh, it'll be fun next and, year to and, have it, Bill, and it was an interesting matchup arteta and bielsa because you had pep's protege versus right. pep's mentor so pep always sort of in the middle of things well we'll end on this uh you uh, mentioned last uh, podcast of 2019 that you uh, proclaimed The Sopranos as the most overrated yes. television show of all time. And so at <laughs> I also mentioned that people did not take kindly. Yes. Well, not, let's say people. Uh, Sopranos fans, which I, I assume are people. Uh, yes. And so at Sean Levy says, as you've incorrectly surmised the most overrated TV series ever, so he's a Sopranos fan, which do you reckon is the most underrated? Oh, wow. Most underrated. All right, so I mean, I can go back in history and look at different shows. Let's see. I think uh, like a show like WKRP in Cincinnati, I think was underrated uh, for the characters and the, the development and the, the writing and the acting. Something like News Radio, I don't know if you remember that. That was a show in the mid-90s uh, that I think was underrated. Wonderful cast that went on to do some very, very good things. Uh, the Closer with Kira Sedgwick. And these aren't, it's, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that nobody heard of these things or that they didn't win awards or they weren't appreciated. But, you know, these are, some, these are definitely some things. I think, I think at times the Newhart show and shows were 
were uh, were underrated. Do you have one that, that, that jumps out at you? Well, I'll give you a couple. In the prestige drama category, there's a show called The Shield. Yes. Which is absolutely phenomenal. Chickless. Is that his Chickless, name? Yes. yes. You know, uh, I That's Wire and Sopranos are my top two. The Shield is like one peg below really? those two. Yeah, I think it's an all-time great if show that doesn't get enough. If The Shield had been on HBO... I guarantee it would be viewed differently. The fact that that she was TNT, I think, right? It was something like that, or it was uh, FX, I think. The yeah. FX. What, I, what I'm saying is the cachet and the panache of HBO, or what, I guess it would now be Netflix too. That that taints it a little bit. Although to be fair, Breaking Bad and Mad Men are AMC, and I put those right up alongside. Uh, yeah, my Mount Rushmore is Wire, Sopranos, Breaking oh, Bad, Mad and Mad right. Men. Yeah, that's a... uh, but I think Shield is like right below that. And then a comedy. A I don't know call. if this is underrated, but I was a massive fan of the Larry Sanders show. Uh, yeah. Anybody that listens to this pod knows I love Seinfeld. That's my favorite all-time show. But Larry Sanders is right there. That's on my comedy Mount Rushmore for sure. It'd be Seinfeld, Curb. Larry Sanders, and I'd have to think of a fourth, but so That's Shield good. and those Larry are, Sanders. I, you know, I, I think that Curb has gotten its its due. You like uh, Curb more than like Veep? I love Veep. Yeah. Veep, Veep could be that fourth in the, on the Mount Rushmore for sure. Uh, Curb, by the way, comes back in a couple of weeks. I heard. I heard. Yeah. It's amazing. It's amazing. I, 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 real long absences I worry about. I mean, look, it's good. It's, it's, it's got a, a template and a the understanding of what they are and what they aren't. So I, I'm not too worried about, but when you've been gone a long time, sometimes it's hard to come back. Anything else, Mossy, when it comes to our Ask Alexi questions? Uh, no, Thank you, Sean, it. by the way, for uh, for asking that. I know we didn't <laughs> give you a specific one, but I gave you uh, a bunch of different ones to think about uh, there. What was the other one I was thinking about? Welcome back, Cotter. Barney Miller. Those types, I think, underrated. And it's not that people didn't recognize him and like him at the time, but anyway. All right, moving on. Hello, people. Alexi here. More of the State of the Union podcast is on the way. But first, I wanted to tell you about a service every soccer fan needs to check out, Fox Soccer Match Pass. With Fox Soccer Match Pass, you can stream live and on-demand matches from Major League Soccer, the Bundesliga, international friendlies, and more, all on your favorite devices. And the best part? It's all ad-free, and you can cancel at any time. So check out foxsoccermatchpass.com and get started with a seven-day free trial today. Now, back to the show. The Back Three. Okay, it's time for our back three, that point of the pod where we uh, look at some big stories, games, moments. Mossy, what's in our back three this week? First up, NYCFC have finally hired a new manager. I, I demanded you, you that they hire. For that I demanded Twitter. that they hire a manager with you know only a couple weeks until preseason starts. I mean, it's it's ridiculous, but they finally did it. Uh, and it's uh, Norwegian Ronnie Dela who. who? Uh, uh, most impressive thing in his resume was a stint with Celtic in which he won a couple of league titles. Uh, he has been dubbed by some the Norwegian Klopp, and he now takes over an NYCFC side that had the best record in the Eastern Conference last season but lost in the playoffs to Toronto. What do you make of this hire and the outlook for NYCFC this season? Ronnie Delia? Della? De- De- uh, I believe it's Dela. Dela. Ronnie Dela. It's a strange hire, not because I don't know a whole lot about him, but because... This is an NYCFC team that, first off, I think is very, very good. Uh, so Ronnie just fell into a uh, wonderful situation. Congratulations to him. It is not sexy. It is not something that uh, perks up anybody's interest level. Uh, not Should it be? Oh, well, it's still NYCFC. So it's got that 
Man City uh, connection and background. And so therefore, you want them to do some big, bold things. And this may turn out to be a big, uh, bold thing of giving uh, Ronnie an opportunity here. But uh, first off, doing something at, because most of his uh, experience has been in Norway, okay? Uh, at times successful, not, uh, not always successful. And then when it comes to Celtic, let's be honest, if you're the coach of Celtic, the expectation is that you win. And, and the reality is that you win. You win consistently. And so that in and of itself, I don't necessarily think should be looked at as an incredible uh, feat for him or anybody else that does not given how good they are and the, the, uh, how much better they are than, uh, than everybody else. But I am willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. And I am interested to see what type of team he has because NYCFC over the last years has in many ways tried to mirror what Man City is with the adherence to playing out at the back. Um, Sometimes it's like you're banging your head, but they've done a very, very good job. And in doing so, uh, they have uh, established a way to play, a style of play that if this is the city way of playing, then it doesn't even matter who comes in this person should come in and continue to do it, tweaking different things here and obviously with different, uh, different personnel. But ultimately, for NYCFC, I think it's time that they won something. We recognize that they're a good team. We recognize that the, the field situation isn't ideal. They're going to be sharing this year, by the way, uh, with two baseball. One baseball stadium wasn't enough for them, so they're going with two baseball stadiums. At times, they'll have games at, at uh, Yankee Stadium. At times, they'll have games at Mets Stadium. Does Mets Stadium have a name? City, City field. field. There you go. City Field. So if you're going to see an NYCFC game, chances are you're going to see it in a baseball. Not chances are. You are going to see it in a baseball stadium. Which one depends on which uh, what games you, you go to. But it's also, this has come really, really late. So Ronnie's going to come in, and if he's, if he's smart, he's going to tweak some different things here or there, but he's not going to change uh, too much stuff, nor is he going to be able to change too much stuff. But if this is really the Norwegian Klopp, what do we think of when we think of Klopp, Mossy? We think of not just a smart soccer brain, but also a over-the-top type of personality. If you go online, you can actually find Ronnie, I'm going to call him Ronnie, by the way, naked, celebrating uh, naked. That's one of his claims to fame. He would not be the first person to parlay nakedness into an incredible career and plenty of, uh, of attention. Um, out there when it comes to soccer or anything else in, in life for that matter. So that is not his only claim to fame, but that, that is a lot of times when you, when you Google it, that's what, uh, that, that's what comes up. He stripped naked on a field to celebrate and, and did all that kind of stuff. But I, I like the fact that he is potentially a personality. I think we need more of those. So that gives me a positive, at least a positive reaction that this is somebody who's going to uh, be interesting. This is somebody who's going to be animated. This is going to be someone who's going to bring passion and energy both on the field to his team uh, and off the field in terms of the personality that he has. I hope he lives up to being the Norwegian Klopp in the way that he uh, performs, shall we say, and entertains with his team and the personality that he is. Do you know anything about him? Other than what you've read? Well, both uh, Keith Costigan and Ian Joy have given their seal of approval to this hire. Is that uh, All is lost. Uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> I mean, Ian Joy is so in the tank for this franchise, they could have hired Carrot Top, and he would have said it was a good hire. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, I mean, I remember covering him when he was at, at Celtic. He actually, you know, 
as you mentioned, the, the, the domestic success is a given. The whole thing is Celtic is can you achieve something in Europe, and he didn't. So actually Celtic fans don't have don't hold great memories of him there. But um, nevertheless, uh, uh, we'll see what he they can do. They drove him to the airport is what you're saying. <laughs> okay, got it. All right, all right. Well, we'll see what happens. Uh, MLS is upon us. Like I said, uh, over the next couple of weeks, first off, the five – MLS teams that are in CONCACAF champions get to start early and start to train for that. And then within another week, so over the next couple of weeks, uh, all teams will report to spring training and we'll be off to the races before we know it at the end of February with the kickoff of yet another season. Not just another season, actually, the 25th anniversary of Major League Soccer, which we'll be doing a lot around. Next up, we'll switch gears to Italy. Uh, Serie A return over the last couple days. Inter Milan had a really nice statement win away to Napoli, 3-1. to one. Lukaku, Lukaku, and Lautaro with the goals. Juventus answered with a 4-0 drubbing of Cagliari. Cristiano Ronaldo with a hat-trick in that one. Inter and Juve are level on points through 18 rounds. Inter ahead on goal difference. I think Inter are going to stick with them until the end. It's going to be a great title race. I'm very excited for it. On Ronaldo, he joins Alexis Sanchez as the only players to score hat-tricks in Serie A, La Liga, and the Premier League. Mm -hmm. couple of thoughts there. Uh, I know the linchpin of your Ronaldo over Messi argument is this idea that Ronaldo has done it in different places while Messi has stayed in his comfort zone. Yep. I know it's only one game against Kylity, but still, people that uh, think what you think, th this was an occasion to sort of make that point again. I think so, yeah. I think that this was, you know, once again, a celebration of somebody Look, we, we, earlier in the pod, we talked about underrated type of things. I, we're not underrating Ronaldo, but I do think at times in the world where he is constantly compared to Messi and where when you do that, at times you can look at Ronaldo as much more robotic in the way that he does things. It's not as pleasing to the eye. Ultimately, he could always you know, rest his legacy on the fact that he scored goals. And so when he is scoring goals, that is good. However he scores and against who he scores, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. That is what he has fed off uh, for so long. I do think that when we look at Ronaldo in Italy, I think many years from now when we look back, we will examine the choice and why he thought that he needed to do it. I don't know ultimately the reasons. Do you think that it's been a good move for him in terms of who he is, maybe much more so from an image standpoint as opposed to a soccer perspective? I, I've enjoyed uh, watching him in Italy. Uh, I'm happy he went there. But I will say, you know, you, you're you right. The notion of Cristiano Ronaldo being underrated is ludicrous. But I would say over the last year and a half, because he's not in the Premier League, because he's not playing for Real Madrid, Barcelona, he has, to the extent that yep. Cristiano Ronaldo can ever say it, flow, say it, fly under the radar a yep. little bit, he has flown under the radar a little bit. Do you find yourself thinking about him on a week-in, week-out basis as much but, as he But is that to? a function of him not being as good, or is that a function of him playing in Serie A, and therefore Serie A, we know, has gone through a lot of changes and, and is not foremost in a lot of people's minds when it comes to watching soccer? Yeah, I think more of the Serie A yeah. thing. Well, that's that's... That's too bad because it's not as if Cristiano Ronaldo couldn't be playing at any of these leagues that you just mentioned, or and by the way, at any of the top leagues that uh, the top teams within those leagues that you just mentioned. That he decided to take, you know, the path less traveled. I think you're right in that it may have. It's not. It's probably not right to say it hurt him uh, or hurt his hurt his image. But he the way we think about Cristiano Ronaldo today at the very beginning of 2020, is very different than we think about even in a year or two years ago about what he was. Well, you know, one thing since he 
move to Juventus a year and a half ago, he's had to sit there and watch another Real Madrid player, Luka Modric, win the Ballon d'Or, which I know the Ronaldo camp was very unhappy with. And then this year, his great rival, Lionel Messi, won it, uh, moving past Ronaldo in all-time Ballon d'Ors. And Ronaldo didn't even finish second. Virgil van Dijk did. So uh, that's one thing, because I know he cares a lot about that award. Uh, I wonder what must be going through his head. Uh, I think he's realizing it's it's a lot tougher to win it at Juventus than yeah. Real Madrid, because Real Madrid do have a lot of uh, uh, sway when it comes to that award. The, the thing I would say about that is Messi has won six Ballon d'Ors. In three of those six years, Barcelona didn't win the Champions League. So it seems like with Messi, people can get past that and just give it to him on the basis of his week-in, week-out brilliance and this idea that he plays the game at a higher level than anybody else. Ronaldo, you kind of feel like, needs the Champions League to yeah. uh, win that award. Yeah. So it's sort of contingent on that. If he wins the Champions League with Juventus this year, which is absolutely oh possible, they're one of the three or four best teams for sure, then I think he would win the Ballon d'Or. But anything short of that, especially since he's not going to put up these like eye-popping numbers in Italy, then I don't think he's going to win another Ballon d'Or, which... You know uh, who's uh, who's his agent? Do we know? Speaking of agents, do we know who George we know? Mendes, who's the guy I mentioned, oh, who I, I think probably well, maybe he should go with uh, Raul. I mean, <laughs> you, know, you know, maybe he needs to look at his representation. And uh, that decision to go to Italy, uh, you know, was obviously made between him uh, and I'm assuming his agent. But maybe that wasn't the best advice. It's interesting. One one note on that. I mentioned I, I've been watching this French show Le Keep to practice my French. They do this digital show where it's a bunch of writers having these roundtable discussions every day about different topics. And right now. It's very transfer market centric. And they were talking recently about the possibility of Christian Eriksen going to Inter and also Paul Pogba going to Inter. Ooh. Both those players have been linked there. And a lot of writers in the panel said that if you're leaving a big English club right now to go to Italy, if it's not Juventus, it's a step down which I thought was a very revealing comment I about so, sort of yeah. the perception yep. of Italian football right now. Even, you know, Inter have been back in the Champions League the last couple of years. They're leading Serie A right now, Antonio Conti. Uh, but still, it doesn't seem like they, they have but all that it juice. It seems back. like they're still treading water, though, when it comes to Inter. So you don't that, think they I, have I, that juice where, like, it, it would be weird to you to see a Paul Pogba go there next. Yes. That would be a, a step back in his career for sure. Absolutely. But, look, I mean, we're still talking about one of the – when it comes to – Ronaldo, we're still talking about one of the greatest ever to play the game. And that he continues to score, or at least looks like he's continuing to score, that is a good thing. But I do agree with you that maybe more so than ever in his career, he needs that Champions League uh, right now. Because the, the messy part, even when he's not winning, he's still playing for Barcelona. There is a consistency and a... a uh, he's almost... Messi's like a, a comfort food that we, <laughs> that we have. And that hasn't changed for obviously all of the more than a, more than a decade, uh, but that's what that's why when I have this debate, I always go to Ronaldo because he has been willing to put himself in different situations. He has been willing to step outside that comfort zone. He has been willing to step outside the the cocoons that he has that he has manufactured and to go and test himself in different places. And at times, he may have suffered from it in terms of uh, image. I don't think he has suffered from it from a, a soccer playing standpoint, but. We'll see what happens going forward. All right, what else? Final back three topic. This was an Alex Dowd idea, and I have to say I was hard on him earlier, but this is actually a, a good contribution on his part. Well, you know, even a blind squirrel catches a nut every once in a while, yes. right? Okay. Uh, the Mexican Clausura gets underway yep. on Friday with Tijuana hosting Santos Laguna on FS2. This is a league we don't talk that often about, but we should because it's immensely popular in the United States, and we cover it on Fox Sports. Very quick turnaround from the Apertura, yep. which— You want to explain to people? Some people don't even know what the, uh, the, the, the scheduling is for— for Liga Max. So they split the season into two. You have uh, the Apertura and the Clausura. Each of those has a regular season and then playoff called the Liguilla. And so 
in the Apertura, which concluded in late December, uh, Monterrey defeated America on penalties. Uh, Monterrey also won the CCL in 2019. They won the CCL under Diego Alonso, who's just been appointed the first ever head coach at Inter yep. Miami. They won the Apertura under uh, Antonio Mohamed. So uh, they're going to be looking to pick up where they left off here in the Clausura, which is down to 18 teams because Veracruz was disaffiliated for financial reasons. And so uh, I would look at uh, the two finalists from the Apertura first. Uh, Monterrey, who have Funes Mori leading the attack, guys like Pizarro and Gallardo uh, providing the service. Uh, Vincent Jansen, former striker at Tottenham, is there as well. Uh, America, coached by Miguel Herrera, who we know well. Giovanni Dos Santos is there. There's been talk about them trying to sign Jonathan Dos Santos to reunite the brothers. Yeah, but but also, but keep in mind, and I want people to, to recognize that in the Apertura, Monterrey, which obviously won the, uh, what are we calling it? Liguilla. The Liga, yeah, I always forget that. Finished eighth, okay? So they go into a playoffs. This is a league that uh, has a regular season, and then they go into playoffs, they go into playoffs, and then, and then they have a winner. So Monterrey, which did not win the the actual league, they finished eighth, and then they went in where well, they went into it. But you're still picking them to to use that moment and that moment of holding up a trophy to kick on, shall we say? I am because in the, the Clausura, the eighth felt like the aberration there. They are a talented ah, okay. team. They so won CCL. They gave a very good account of themselves at the Club World Cup. Lost a heartbreaker to Liverpool in the semifinals. So I think they're a very good team. Uh, but you mentioned the team that had the best record in the regular season of the Apertura was Santos Laguna. And then they got knocked out by Monterrey in the quarterfinals. So, you know, they're, I suppose, a team you could mention as well. And then also Tigres, who are very good, who lost the CCL final to Monterrey. Uh, they signed uh, Nico Lopez, this very good Uruguayan player who was playing in Brazil with Internacional. So he'll be looking going to supply Gignac, who's still there. So it uh, should be a fun season. I'm looking forward to it. Did you, throughout your career, I know Eric Winalda had a, a short stint mm-hmm. in Mexico. Did you have any opportunities Never. there? Never. Uh, if I wasn't playing with the national team or preseason games or, or any type of, uh, you know, back then it wasn't uh, CONCACAF Champions League, but it, it was other stuff. That was the only interaction that I had with uh, with Mexican teams. But like you said, there were plenty of American players uh, that went down and played there. Um, even guys like Clay Coyman, who was captain of Cruz Azul, uh, Cab Ramos, uh, uh, different uh, guys that went down there. Nobody necessarily was down there for a long period of time. But what Liga MX has become from a soccer perspective and from a broadcast perspective, and we broadcast it on, uh, on Fox, everybody, uh, everybody knows that, and the infrastructure, uh, whether it's the stadiums and the, and the, uh, the new stadiums, and the excitement. But it is interesting when we have these arguments about the structure of American soccer, and in particular the structure of Major League Soccer when it comes to no promotion relegation and uh, the, the playoff system, that not only do they have playoffs, but they have two, two totally different times where, <laughs> they, where they have playoffs. As we said, the Apertura and the, and the Clausura both have, then they go to playoffs and they have a champion of both of those different things. So uh, talk about, is that too much of a good thing? I don't think so. The more playoffs, the better. And the more title games that you have, the better. And, and I, 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 I will tell you that the, the home and away leg with Monterey and America was wonderful. I watched, I watched both of them. Uh, we broadcast it uh, in English. We broadcast it in, uh, in Spanish. It was wonderful to see the bicycle, all the, all the, the drama uh, and the excitement. 
And that was heightened because of the fact that it was a playoff and because of the fact that they were going for a moment to hold up a trophy. So it was a wonderful advertisement, advertisement not just for Liga MX, but an advertisement for playoffs. Let me ask you this. And by the way, this has Twitter clip written all over it, depending on the answer he gives. I mentioned guys like Gignac and mm-hmm. Vincent Janssen playing in Mexico. If you were a European player today and decided that you wanted to play in this part of the world and the money was the same and you had a choice between MLS or League MX, which to you is the more appealing destination right now? It's a good question. I think depending on where you are going, and I, I think depending on what you what you want to do. I think in general, look, if the, if the money is the same, I think that more and more you, well, first off, if you're going down there, I think that you will at times have a better chance of playing, to be quite honest with you. And I've said before that for a young American player, the quickest way to increase in your, not just a player, by the way, a coach, or anybody for that matter, the quickest way of increasing your value is to get on a plane and leave the country. In many cases, in most cases, just go to Europe and then just come back and you already have increased your value. I think the value now of playing in Mexico has increased. So it's a, it's a really hard question, Moss, a really hard question to answer. It would depend on where you were going, and as, as it always does, depend on how certain are you that you are going to be given a chance and have playing time. But you're, you, when players are signed from outside coming in, inherent in that is that they are going to be given more an op- of an opportunity because they're not, it's not domestic talent. It's not talent that's already within our midst. MLS had a couple of nice pulls from Mexico. Alan Pulido mm-hmm. leaving Chivas to go to Sporting KC. Edinson Flores uh, leaving Morelia to go to DC United. Luciano Acosta went the other way from DC United to Atlas. Carlos Antuna, who spent last season on loan with the Galaxy, signed with Chivas. So uh, on this uh, MLS Liga MX front, a couple things. The winner of this Clausura will face Monterrey in a playoff to determine who plays the Seattle Sounders in that Campeones Cup. Right. And also keep in mind the MLS All-Star game this year, which is at Bank of California Stadium in July, is the MLS All-Stars against the Liga MX All-Stars. Uh, as you mentioned, commemorating the 25th right. anniversary of MLS. Uh, do you like that format better or the European club? Do you think this is... This no, is I think this is much better. No. I think this is great. I think that, first off, it, it's going to force Liga MX to create an all-star team. And for while it's normal for us in the U.S. and Canada to do this in all sports to create all-star teams, it's very, very unique and different for a lot of other countries and cultures to do that. And so I'll be really interested to see what this team uh, looks like. And is it is it a team to showcase the best talent that they have? Is it a team put together to be the best collection of players or just the best, uh, the best players? I love it. I, I think it's great. And I love it because at this point in history, more than any time before, I think that we can, and when I say we, I mean Major League Soccer, but American soccer in general and Canadian soccer, we can look at Liga MX and look at Mexican soccer and be confident in saying that we can compete. We can compete on the field. You mentioned the deals that are being done. So from a business perspective, I think that money has gotten into a range where it is feasible to do some of these things to sell players or to buy players, where in the past we would have been priced out. I think that right now, the connection between the United States, Canada, and Mexico when it comes to the soccer in terms of the talent and the business that exists has never been closer, has never been more on an even plane. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing for everybody involved. I think that 
Liga MX has made MLS better. MLS, I think, is making Liga MX uh, better. And we can coexist. And at times, and this is a, a bigger conversation, something we've touched upon in the past, there will come a time, I think, where the potential for this North American league with Mexico, Canada, and the United States exists. How it, how it looks, ultimately, I don't know. But I think that there is going to be a lot of inertia and desire on a lot of different fronts to have something like that exist. And can you imagine what it would be, uh, what it would be like? Anything else, Mossy? No, that is it. All right, so we come to the end of yet uh, another show and our first show of 2020. And as always, I want to thank you for uh, tuning in and subscribing and rating and reviewing and, and doing all those things. Before we came on air, we were talking as a group here about the way that this podcast has evolved over the last couple of years. And you know, yes, we have a kind of set template and a uh, way that we go about it. And I think people appreciate that and like that. And uh, I was saying earlier that people like ritual. Having said that, you got to grow, you have to evolve. And we want your input and we want your help as we continue to grow this, uh, this podcast, because this is a labor of love. This is something that we, uh, we enjoy doing each and every week, but we recognize that it can get better. And so if you are out there, Please let us know if there are things that uh, you want to do. I mean, some of the things that we're looking to do throughout the year here is possibly bring in some other voices, uh, bring in some um, interview type of things, uh, other co-hosts out there. One of the things that we also talked about, Masi and I were talking about earlier, is rather than constantly referring to our friend uh, Alex and uh, Luis, who we don't refer to a lot, but is, is certainly out there, rather than just having them be these silent types of mirages in the distance, actually giving them a mic. Now, listen, uh, this could be completely lead us to real big problems, but we're willing to at least attempt it. So these are the types of things that we're trying to uh, think about uh, of improving. And, and that's an important word. These things have to improve the podcast and ultimately improve it for you. So if there are things that you like, if there are things that you dislike, please hit us up. Let us know out there as we, uh, as we go forward because we want to make sure that we are giving you the show that you want without doing things that we don't want to do, but giving you the show that, uh, uh, that, that you want. And so your input is vital to us uh, going forward. And we will do things and we will make decisions based on that, uh, that input because it's uh, so important. Mossy, anything before we go? Well, I suggested the Alex Dowd microphone thing. I might have been influenced by the fact that he bought me a present uh, so, so for those of you that have been watching the show, uh, you will know that my good friend David Mossy here is uh, oftentimes seen in a hat. And he has this, is that the, is that the other one yes, over there? Yes. So for years, uh, he has worn this uh, Izod hat. It's Izod, Lacoste, Lacoste, Izod, yeah. Lacoste hat um, with a small, do we know if it's a croc or an alligator? Do we know? My, my son would be able to tell you because of its... Uh, no. Of, of its nose, but either way, uh, this reptilian figure on the on the on the uh, hat has been very small. And he came in today, and Alex gave him this thing, which is a huge, huge croc or alligator up there on the uh, top of the hat. So he was very, very happy. I've never seen Mossy just dissolve into tears and thanks <laughs> the way he did when he was given that gift. But uh, it was wonderful. Anything, Mossy, before we go? Uh, no, that is it. All right, listen, uh, we will see you again uh, next week. As I said before, 
We appreciate everybody uh, tuning in. Uh, and we will be back on track with a Monday recording and a Tuesday uh, dropping of the uh, podcast. We just had to wait an uh, extra day here to, today. So we will see you again and hear from you again uh, next week. Make sure you use that uh, hashtag Ask Alexi and send us all those questions, comments, and concerns. Uh, and as I said before, any types of improvements that you think we should have on the show as we go forward into 2020. We're excited about 2020 and we're excited to have you listening and watching as we uh, go forward. All right, size the day. 